All right, join me in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 and verse number 16. Now, if you're thinking that we're moving kind of slow through the passage, you are right. We are moving a little slow, and that's on purpose. Um, it's not just to fill time. It's not to fill time. It's that we need to know this passage well. And several, um, well, quite a little while ago now, we had the uh, pews recovered, and, and uh, we enjoy this color much more than the yellow, I think. Uh, but we might have thought ahead and had seatbelts attached, uh, because you might need them this morning. As we go into this passage, uh, I would recommend you at least brace yourself for what the Word says to us. In verse number 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And so I've given a title here today, no option. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word today, we are so dependent upon you, we, we don't even fully understand the degree that we do. But we are, and that's the reality. You who have given to us a perfect love and a perfect mercy have also given to us your perfect word. And as we approach it today, Lord, it's overwhelming. It's, it's much greater than we are. But we come to the God who says that we have access to your throne to find grace and help in our time of need. And we are needy today. We need to know your word. And we need to do what you call us to do. So do your work in our lives as we submit ourselves to this time. May our attention be on you. And may your work be accomplished through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Walk by the Spirit. A little month, over a month ago, we started this study of the internal battlefield. The title I give to it. I think it's a fitting title. Not only the aspects of the struggle between the Holy Spirit and the cravings of the flesh. That's, that's a real battlefield in every front throughout this world. But we have also found that that struggle is within us as believers. We have an internal battlefield. And by saying that, I hope to convey that our goal is maturity in the Christian life. Is that true? Growing daily into the image of our Savior. I, I have yet to meet anyone who says that's an easy thing to do. As human beings, we are dominated uh, by our own selves. We may even say it's perfectly natural <laughs> to be so. Now, I don't plan to go into a whole uh, psychological study of the implications of this, but simply just to say this. You and I know that we are quite capable of being self-centered, <laughs> quite capable of being selfish. You and I know that uh, when a job is presented to us, sometimes we find it challenging, especially when it has to do with remodeling ourselves, that we strategize by our own wisdom and we operate by our own strength and we seek out our own desire 
or expectation, and, and we gladly take the applause for our own glory when we make it happen. That is my definition of self. When it's our own wisdom, when it's our own strength, when it's our own will for our own glory, something laced with self-pride, the Bible labels it as the flesh. Because it has an intense craving to do things itself for its own promotion. Uh, The Galatian text we're looking at says that that is in opposition to God. It says that the flesh uses devices like biting and devouring and consuming in order to get its way. And if that isn't enough, the results of the flesh are given to us in verse number 19, 20, and 21, which is a rather ugly little list. Now, I think that just the introduction here this morning is enough information to say that it is not recommended that you walk down that path. But it does certainly seem to be our default path, doesn't it? If I take a poll this morning, we're in the time of year where polls are being taken all the time. And if I I took a poll this morning and I asked this question, which is easier to do, sin or not sin? I I have a good idea. I know the results. (laughs) At least the results from experience would say it's certainly much easier to sin than it is to not sin. Would you agree with that? Sinning doesn't take discipline. Not sinning does. Sinning doesn't really involve the conscience. We we could do it without one, so to speak. Not sinning engages that more. Sinning doesn't care. Not sinning does. Now, I could go on for quite a while that way, but we all know, as Scripture says, the flesh is weak. You know who said that? Jesus did. This was his comment. Remember, it was in a garden when he had asked his disciples to pray with him and found them asleep. His comment to them was this. He says, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, take that word weak there that he used when he was speaking to them. Um, It's a Greek word that sits in front of me, and I I could pronounce it, but it wouldn't mean too much to any of you probably. Uh, But it takes two words. The second word is the word for strength. And the first word is the letter A attached to it, which nullifies it. Like we would do with not or un. They put the letter A or the alpha in front of the word, and it erases it. This is not strength. No strength. Many times when we see the word weak, we think, well, it's got a little bit. We say we've got a weak battery, we might just get the car started anyway. We say, you know, your coffee's a little weak, but we're still going to drink it. When we say this is, this is weak, we, we give it a little bit of something. We say, well, it's, it's feeble, yes, it's, it's sick. But the word is literally no strength, none. Nothing in there. 
the, the, the other word that uh, comes in this department is helpless. Helpless. It's a strong word, to tell the truth, when you look at what Jesus says. Because we think, well, if it's got a little strength, we can do something with it. And what he said is the flesh has no strength. No strength. Oh, we keep trying to use it, though, don't we? We pull it out anyway. We say, well, let's apply a little bit of strength here. There's no strength there, folks. The flesh has no resistance. Understand this. It has no resistance. It does not fight back against things like sin. It has no capability to do so. Doctrinally, I, I could set before you this. We can blame our environment all we want. That's easy to do. We, we can blame our history all we want. We could even blame it on the devil. Well, we've done that so often. But we cannot get away from the fact that the problem is our sin nature. There it is. The sin nature. The Bible tells us, and it doesn't hesitate to tell us, the reality of that thing. By definition, we call it depravity because this is the way God describes it. In Galatians 6, I mean Genesis rather, 6 verse 5, he says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now I once had to translate that into Hebrew, and this is how it reads. Jehovah saw the men of the earth were abundantly morally depraved, and the whole impulse of the inventions of his heart were only morally depraved the whole day. And I put next to that one word, yuck. Because that's the, the full impact of it. We're not just talking about actions there, are we? We're talking about the thinking and the imagination and the planning and the scheming and all that goes into the process of doing things or thinking things through. That's the nature of the flesh. And by this time, we're probably saying, oh, but that's, that's some, other, some other guy. That's not me. I'm not like that. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20, a very interesting book to find a, a strong theological statement like this. It says, indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Sounds a lot like Romans 3.23, doesn't it? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. So I ask you something. Does God take this seriously? Oh, yes, He does. So seriously, He gave His Son to die to be the remedy for sin. That's pretty serious. But that's the reality. Like I said, I, I don't think I have to go far to present to you the fact that sinning is easy for us to do. It's easy for us to do. So I want to add a second thought to that as I believe would speak for the whole of this congregation. I trust it is. The path of flesh is not where we want to be. 
that the way we think? The path of flesh is not where we want to be. We who have been redeemed by our Savior want to walk in the light as He is in the light. We want to be what He has made us to be. We want our behavior to reflect the holiness of God and not the helplessness of the flesh. I trust that's where we all stand this morning. As we go into this passage, he wrote this to believers. We have to understand what the struggle is so we can understand what the call is that we are to do. When we started this study in verse number 16, I said, this is our mandate. Walk by the Spirit. That's a mandate for us. I, I, I want to get much closer at it today and help us to, to grasp it fully. If we, if we can't grasp fully what's actually being said here, we're going to do our very best to understand today and take a much closer look at what the Lord has told us. But let's, let's start with something I think is essential for us to do. and It's real simple. Right now you're holding a Bible in your hands. You've got it there in front of you. Is this his word? You're convinced that that's God's word. And you're convinced that the Lord is God, right? Alright, those are good things. Does he speak the truth? Yes. Always. Is what he says in line with his character? Are his expectations that he shows in this verse, or in this book, in line with his character. Okay, you've all agreed to that. I keep seeing heads nodding and voices saying yes. Does God ever jest with us? Is he capricious? Is he, is he whimsical? Is he fickle? Or does he just say, this is what I say? I think we come to the conclusion that when he says something, he means it, right? And we take it as such. So with the assurance of his character and of his word, look at the command again. Walk by the Spirit. Verse 16. Walk by the Spirit. Does he mean it? Okay. When I teach my uh, Greek classes, my students have gotten used to this phrase. Whenever we cross a verb, and there's verbs in every single sentence, we, I, I as a teacher always say, parse it out. And they hear that, parse it out all the time. And I bet they're saying it in their sleep now. They wake up and say, parse it out! Because there's a verb, and we want to know, what does that verb say? And so I always say, parse it out. That means to, to break it down in its little pieces and explain it. And when you see the word walk here, and I say, parse it out, one of my students, if they get it correctly, would say this. It's a second person plural, present, active, imperative of peripateo. That's what they're supposed to say. Because that's what it is. And you say, well, okay, that sounds so easy. This is how it breaks down. You ready? Second person. That's the word you. You. Second person. It's easy to demonstrate. If I was here talking with Brian, 
and Karen's part of the conversation, but I'm talking to Brian. It's I. I would use the I for myself, right? I or me. That's first person. And Brian, when I address him, is you. I, you, I, you. And if we talk about Karen, it's she or her. Third person. All right? Me, first person. Brian, second person. Karen would be third person in that conversation if we were having it. This is a second person. So the word is you. Now, it's also plural. So if I'm talking to them and they're together and I'm talking to both of them, I would say that in the plural, you, right? You. I teach my, my students, not on purpose, but we have a lot of fun with this, Southern Greek. We use the word y'all. All right? It sounds really funny in translations. If ever down the road you see a brand new Bible translation come out, and every time you see the word y'all in there, you know it was one of my students. All right? That's one of the words. Y'all. That means all of you, as it's addressing the audience. You all. Now, with that understood, who's excluded? Nobody, if you use such a word, right? If I'm addressing this church and I'm using second person plural, I say y'all, that means all of you. Alright, so we've got that for our first step here. It's a second person plural. So, that means everybody. I said it was a present tense. Present tense is what's happening now. Now. And if we watch the clock go by ten minutes, and then I say, what time is it now? That's the present then, too, isn't it? Because the present is where you are at the moment. That's present. And this is present, which... Which means, in essence, and we use this aspect of it, it's continuous. Now is now. And then in ten minutes, it's now. And then in an hour from now, it's still now if we're there, right? It's now. It's continuous in nature. So, for as long as this involves you, it's also suggesting that the activity is now. All right? Not too complicated, I hope. Here's the third aspect that goes with this. We call it, in Greek, we call it the active voice. Active voice is interesting. That means the subject is actually doing the action. The subject is doing the action. Um, there is other ways to express how the subject is, is related to the action. For example, the one we always use is active voice, Bill hit the ball. Real simple idea. Bill did the action, right? He hit the ball. If we turn that into a passive, we would say Bill was hit by the ball. Bill should pay more attention. Bill was hit by the ball. That's a passive. We also have this really interesting one called a middle, which combines both of them. Bill hit the ball, which hit himself. And we would say he's very uncoordinated then. All right? Now, this is an active, and because it's an active, the subject is doing the action themselves. In other words, you can't sit back, hear this command, and say, somebody else do it for me. You can't do that. It's not possible in this sense. See, your, 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 your spiritual maturity is a great concern to your pastor. But your pastor can't grow for you. 
having godly parents or, or ga- godly grandparents is, is wonderful, and we consider that a great blessing, but they cannot fulfill this command for you. Attending a Bible church, and we're blessed to have that as well. It does not fulfill this verse for you. You are active in this verse. And when it comes down to it, if you're not, guess what you are? Disobedient. Because this is a command. This is what we call the imperative. The imperative is a command. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And commands have two responses. Obedience or disobedience. Now, we would like to insert a third response. No doubt you've used this before. Mom says, take out the trash. And our third response, whether obedience, disobedience, that, oh no. In a minute. That's our third response, right? In a minute. In a minute. What you're doing is trying to buy a little time. Now you say, well, that's not disobedience. But is it obedience? How many times have we said, just a minute, to God? He says, walk by the Spirit. All right, I'll get to it. What do you call that? Disobedience. I know, parents, you're going to use this now the rest of the week on the kids, aren't you? (laughs) When they say, just a minute, or I'll get to that. How are we responding when we say such things? I'm impressing this upon you as a Christian. This statement, walk by the Spirit, does not come to us with any option. Do you see any on that page where that verse sits? When it says, walk by the Spirit, unless you're busy with something else? Or except for certain individuals? Or Do you see any exceptions in the phrase? Do you see any loopholes here that maybe we can take advantage of? Do you see any believer omitted from it? Is there uh, no time off here? Is, is there no proxy, no substitute that we could use in our place? Is there any other proper response than obedience? I know I ask these questions because I call this sermon no option for a reason. This verse does not give us one, does it? It doesn't give us a choice. It doesn't give us the luxury of trying out other ideas. Because this is what I conclude as I read this verse. That even to step one inch on the path of the flesh is to be disobedient to this verse. One inch. Now I know exactly where such a command is leading us. And I want you to keep engaged for a moment as I explore this thoroughly with you. If you think that obedience to this command will change your habits, 
that obedience to this command will change your practices. It will change your mood. It will change your expressions. It will change your vocabulary. It will change your plans. It will change your methods. It will change your goals. It will change your perspective. If you think it will change, you're right. It will. I want to show you something out of Romans chapter 8. Go back with me for a little bit here. Romans chapter 8, and look at verse number 8, for starters. There's three verses here. Romans 8, verse 8. Now, I of you give you the head start. You get there, you've got a minute, you can just glance over this verse, and then you know exactly what the pastor is about to say. It says in Romans 8, verse 8, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see that? Is that a heavy little verse? <laughs> wow, is that a strong one. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Did the pastor make that up? No, he did not. God wrote that. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's an alarming little verse. Verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Ooh, look at that again. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. This I call a visual definition of a believer. A visual definition of a believer. Who are the sons of God? Those being led by the Spirit of God. That's visually how we show that we belong to Christ. We're led by the Spirit of God. I think that sounds very serious too. Now jump down to another verse, verse number 29. Right in the middle of a thought, but this is good. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. We'll stop right there. Conformed to the image of his Son. Here's a guaranteed for you. This not only is the work of the Holy Spirit who is in you to conform you to the image of his Son, but here's the guarantee that goes with it. He will not fail. He is God, right? And when He is through, you will be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. You will be conformed to the image of His Son. You will not be 75% conformed to the image of the Son. Not even 95% conformed to the image of His Son. 100% conformed. John writes it this way. In 1 John chapter 3, he says, When we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I trust and I really hope and pray that you long for that day. When you shall stand in his presence and you shall be like him. That day is coming. This is the process he's on. And because you are a child of God, He is leading you. He's leading you in the process of conforming to the image of His Son. 
See, the Holy Spirit is in you, not to enhance you, but to enhance Christ in you. That's what he's doing. He's working that we be like Christ. That's his job. That's what we're studying here in this passage. His goal in placing us into the body of Christ is expressed exactly this way. In a passage like Ephesians 4 verse 13. I'll read it to you. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's the work he's doing. All of us. You're not omitted. All of us. Being unified in the faith. All of us with the knowledge of the Son of God, all of us maturing into the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's a powerful thing he's doing. But that's what he's doing. And I'll tell you this, he will not settle for anything less. He will not. Does it scare you? Does it scare you that he wants complete control of everything? It says, walk by the Spirit. Walk. The word peripateo means to walk around. We use it for behavior. It means wherever you're going, you're to be walking by the Spirit. Your behavior should reflect the Spirit. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, it should have the marks of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, that gets kind of convicting, doesn't it? To walk implies progress. Because it's taking one step beyond the last step. The Lord knows that. He's so patient, isn't he? He lets us walk. I know we probably look like that toddler the first time they just let go of the coffee table or something and off they go. And everyone's like, because <gasps> here they are toddling across the floor. and We're impressed, but we're scared to death. And then we move everything up three inches. And each time they get better, we move it up higher, don't we? Because we know the toddler. God sees us and he says, walk. He knows who we are. And he even knows how we, we struggle in the process. He says, walk. But he says, you're not walking alone. You are not alone. That's the point of this passage. You are not alone. He doesn't want you to be alone. And he doesn't want you to act like you're alone. He doesn't want you to do it by your strength. He doesn't want you to do it by your direction. He doesn't want your will in this. He doesn't want your way in this. He doesn't want your glory in this. He wants you to trust Him as you walk. He says, I'll walk with you. Walk by the Spirit. How many times have you walked with that that little three or four year old into the grocery store? You're coming out of the parking lot and you're holding them by the hand, aren't you? Why do you do that? Well, number one, you don't want them run over. It's easy to happen that way. 
So you don't want that. Plus, you also want them to walk into that store and not go wherever they want. Because you know they're going to go wherever they want. Why do you think they put those little riding toys out there that cost a quarter or 50 cents? Because they know the kids say, hey, hey, that looks better than the store. So they're going to do it their way. So you hold their hands and you escort them into where you need them to go. It's a simple picture, is it not? But we need that direction. He says to walk. To walk. How do I do that? I obey him. That's the first step in this. Obey. Do we? When it says walk by the Spirit, do we obey him? That's our question. And that one you have to answer. When it says walk by the Spirit, do we trust his leadership? He's leading, isn't he? Do you trust him? Do you believe he knows where he's going? How many times in the Old Testament were people told to do something they had no idea what was going to come of that? Abraham, go to a land I'll show you. He didn't pull up MapQuest. He didn't say, here, here's the route. He says, just follow my instructions. And Abraham went. Aren't you glad Abraham went? You know what that is? That's a testimony to us right now that you can trust your God. He knows where he's leading. To walk by the Spirit means that I have fellowship with him. And that, again, is a question I have to make personal. Do I? Make it personal for you. Do you? What's fellowship mean? You eat. No. That's generally what we say. Fellowship has to have food. Fellowship is communication. It's not just communication, though. It's having an agreeance. That, that you're on the same page, so to speak. You're, you're in the same conversation. You, you have the same desire in the conversation. You're talking to one another like friends or family should. Fellowship. Are you on that level with the Holy Spirit? That you're in fellowship with Him? It's kind of hard to walk with somebody when they're mad at you. You ever noticed? It's a real awkward kind of walk, isn't it? But this is implied in the phrase, walk by the Spirit. We're in fellowship with Him. And that again, you have to reflect back on yourself and say, Am I? Am I in, in fellowship with Him? We seek His direction when we walk by the Spirit. He, he, he doesn't mind you asking, where are we going? He can handle that. Do you even ask? Those who are consumed with self do not ever ask somebody, where are we going? Because they have their own idea. <laughs> they have their own sense of what they want to do. I think so often uh, we guys get that kind of... Uh, label put on us when we're lost and we're driving. We don't ask for directions, do we? We say, ah, I know where I am. I wanted to see this neighborhood. We come up with all these wonderful ways to excuse the fact that we just don't ask. Do you ask? You know, I think every time you say, uh, Lord, 
what am I to do, know about this direction? What hearsay? Have you read my book? Is it not the guide? He tells us where we're going and what we're doing. Do I know how he works? Do I know how he works? You know, when you become acquainted with the Holy Spirit, when you get to know him, you start to understand what he's doing. Not some mystical force out there that's just kind of floating around, giving you a good day every now and then. The Holy Spirit is active in your life for a reason. Do you know He loves you with all the love of a holy God? Do you know that He's omnipotent? Do you know that He's omniscient? (laughs) Do you know that everything He has designed for you is in perfect compatibility with the character and the love and the mercy and the truth of God? Sometimes we hesitate, like, I don't know, should I trust him? He's God. Do you know him? Walking with him is understanding that we know how he works. At least we're learning as we go. That's walking. We learn. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know how he works? Do you have confidence? In him. After all, you're laying your life in his hands. And you say, Well, that's asking me to do a lot. Folks, have you not already trusted Christ as your Savior? What have you just entrusted to him? Is it not, not only your whole life, but your whole existence and all of eternity? You set it in the hands of Christ? And then you step back and say, I don't know if I trust the Holy Spirit that much. Do you have confidence in what he's doing? Do you? Here's a fact. And maybe there's more to it than just a single concept here. But you do obey someone. The flesh calls you to walk in a path in opposition to God. Do you? The flesh will emphasize your wisdom. The flesh will emphasize your strength. The flesh will emphasize your will for your glory. Every time you walk down that path, you obey the flesh. You're in fellowship with it. You're seeking its direction. You're placing your confidence in what it wants to do. Do you not know that? You say, but, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I've received the mercy of God. I've been forgiven by His grace. I've been placed in the body of Christ, and I have a place reserved in heaven. Yes, you do. I know. Let me ask you if you're satisfied with just a label. With just a label. Say that uh, tomorrow morning I invited you over for breakfast. And I said, well, I've got this great box of cereal I want to share with you. You come over and you have a seat and I hand you an empty box. 
You say, but, but pastor, what am I supposed to do? Isn't the label sufficient? You've got the box. Isn't that all you really want? You say, no, I, I want the substance. Right? But how many times in the Christian life do we love the label, but we resist the substance? We, we, we want to wear the title, but we don't want the walk. I can't be satisfied with just the label, can you? I want to read to you Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. Turn with me to chapter 3 of Ephesians. And look at these words from verse 14 to verse 21. And I want you to think them through carefully as I read them. For this is the prayer of Paul for the Ephesians. This is a prayer of your pastor for this church, for you as an individual. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom the, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, and that's a pretty big order right there, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You say, what is that? Kata keo is the Greek word here. It means to have... Let's see, the right word for this is to be at home. I think that's maybe a good way to say it. The, the idea is, is to house permanently, in the technical phrase, to be intensely at home. Now you say, but Christ is in me, the hope of glory. Yes! And there's Christ at home in you. That's what his prayer is. There's Christ at home in you. That you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. You say, wow, what a prayer! And before we take one more step, realize, only God could fulfill it. Now to him who is able. Notice the next phrase. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a prayer for somebody who's not satisfied with just the label. They want to walk by the Spirit. They want Christ at home in their hearts. They want to comprehend that love of God. They want to be filled up with all the fullness of God. Do you? That's the question. As I started, when I read that verse, Walk by the Spirit, I told you the title was No Option. 
as a believer in Christ, I honestly believe there is no option. When there's a command given by our Lord, we do it. He says, walk by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. Okay? That's what he said. Now, let's go to him in prayer. That's where you can start to wrestle. Heavenly Father, you know every single one of us here in this room. This command is not given to us by accident. It's not just simply a whim of yours. It's not something that you want us to dismiss, even to hear and say, that's for somebody else. But you have set this word before us today, Lord, and now we stand before you. And it's a time for us to examine our hearts and lives. It's a time for us to make commitments. The next step is what you call us to do in this walk. The next step. Lord, for some, that might be an awkward step but I pray that they will take it. For some, it will be a life-changing step. For in the midst of walking with the Spirit, there are things that come to mind, things that will change. And yet, Lord, we know we can trust you. We know that you love us. And we know where you're leading us, for you are conforming us to the image of his Son. And I pray, Lord, that you might instill within us that will that you have, that desire, that intense longing and craving to be everything you've designed us to be. When it says, walk by the Spirit, may our first statement be yes. And may that be where you find us. You know our hearts, and you know who we are, and you know what you're doing. So we simply commit ourselves to you today. Commit ourselves to you. And pray that you will bring us into maturity in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.